1: Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for joining us this Sunday evening. Uh, now that we're into daylight savings time and it's spring, why are we having 20-degree temperatures and snow? I don't know. But it's a good night to uh, get a good night's sleep in a nice, warm, cozy house and listen to The Advocate. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking to uh, Judge Um Let me take a look at who we're having here. At 8.30, we're going to have Judge Wanda Jones, who's going to be talking to us as a member of the Cuyahoga County Common Police Court. He's going to be filling us in on the transition from private law practice into being a judge. And uh, in the first half hour, we're going to be talking to Mike Davila, who uh, has been on our program a number of times before. Mike, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Nick. It's great to be with you this evening.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, we we've been uh, on on and off uh, for years together here. As you went through the state legislature and went to Washington and uh, served in the Navy, you have a whole lot of things going on. For for those people listening tonight who don't know who Mike Deville is, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll we'll start with your your new company that you have because uh, it's based upon all of your experiences in the military and in the government as an elected official, as well as working uh, in Washington.
0: Sure. Well, I'm a Cleveland native, grew up here in Berea, and I've spent most of my career in or around government or the military. And I've had some stints in and out of the private sector with my own company as well. Uh, but I was honored to be able to serve in the state house of representatives from 2011 to 2016 in the Southwestern suburbs of Cuyahoga County. And, uh, Then most recently, was just back down in Washington, D.C. for a second stint at the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. We can talk a little bit about that. But um, I've organized a new company here recently that's focused on uh, human resources and leadership development. And as you indicated, it's really uh, sort of an amalgamation of 20-plus years of professional experience in public life at the federal and state levels, the military um, as a small business owner for two companies now, and in a number of nonprofit leadership organizations over the years. So uh, we're very excited to get this off the ground and focused on a number of different areas, but the primary one that we're starting with is uh, leadership assessment. So we're offering um, DISC and motivators assessments to different folks, whether uh, in a human resource type sense or even just for individual uh, growth and development. And some of the follow-on services that come out of that are related to, to coaching and strategic planning and we're really offering this at a number of different levels. Everyone from the Gen Z generation that's uh, in college and just hitting the workforce right now, through the Millennials and and Gen Xers uh, who are are in the workforce as well. It's an interesting time in American history. It's actually the first time ever that we have five different generations that are working in the workplace at the same time. So we've got uh, folks who are still hanging around from around World War II, and then, of course, Boomers X, Y, and Z. So it makes for a lot of um, interesting dynamics and challenges that folks run into a lot of times in the workplace, uh, not to mention just around the community. And so our, our company is trying to help other companies and organizations find ways to navigate the different types of personalities and different types of behavior that sort of accrue to the various generations that are all working together now for the first time.
1: Now the uh, the businesses that you would be attracting do you attract businesses or individuals or groups of people who are are going off into uh, either the public sector or the nonprofit sector or, or where do you see your business attracting most of its business?
0: Yeah, so it's it's really all of the above, but the main areas that we're targeting right now are uh, kind of small to mid cap companies, and then additionally, as an adjunct to human resource departments for larger companies around greater Cleveland and and Northern Ohio. So it really can apply in the corporate sector across the board. And then we're also starting to do a number of one-on-one type of assessments and services, just with folks who have a growth mentality, who are looking to kind of jumpstart either uh, from the beginning of their career or to move to the next level if they're into their career already. And just to be a lot more intentional about not letting life kind of just happened to them, but to have uh, something of a plan in place to look down the track five or 10 years and say, this is where I'd like to be, not just with my career, but with my personal life and um, work in the community. So it's it's really a whole person concept for those who are oriented toward being a better person um, down the track than they are today.
1: Well, well, what's most interesting to me tonight in talking to you about your experiences that have basically set you up to do this business and share your experiences with uh, other people in a constructive way. Uh, You, unlike most people here in Northern Ohio, uh, you have uh, served in uh, Washington in two separate presidential appointment jobs. Uh, Could you tell us a little little bit about those and when those occurred?
0: I can. So I sort of ended up backing into working on uh, public personnel management at OPM, the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, through an experience that I had on Capitol Hill from uh, 2001 to 2003 with Senator George Voinovich, who at the time was the chairman of the Oversight of Government Management Subcommittee. And we had oversight of the entire federal workforce. And after his service as mayor of Cleveland and governor of Ohio, he was very interested in going to Washington. And in addition to working on the other policy issues that he was focused on, wanted to try to get the federal workforce to be um, really modernized and reformed for that that point in history and to get labor and management to work more effectively together. And so we took some time working on that whole set of issues and, and worked through some legislation reforming the civil service for the first time since the late 1970s. And then an opportunity came along to serve in President Bush 43's administration at OPM, um, serving as the executive director of a new interagency management council of chief human capital officers. So this was the early 2000s and um, through much of the 1990s, government at the federal level sort of began to move into where the corporate space had been with C-level executives. So they established chief financial officers, chief information officers, chief acquisition officers, and Senator Voinovich said, "Well, you've, you've covered a lot of the functional areas, but you forgot the most important one, and that's people. It's people that compose the government, and it's people that do all those different functions uh, that we've just mentioned, as well as all the other things the government does. And so, we need a chief human capital officer at the cabinet departments and agencies to really focus on the people side of the business, and then a council to sort of organize thought leaders around the different types of issues. And so." My job in the OPM director's office at that time for uh, a lady named Kay Coles James, who was the OPM director, was to get that council established. I was the first executive director. Um, We put a chief human capital officer's academy in place to serve as a location to exchange best practices between agencies and departments. And it was just a really exciting time for the federal workforce. So that was my first stint. And then uh, I came back home. In 2006, and in the interim, did a bunch of the other things that I mentioned, the service in the legislature, had a deployment over to Iraq for a year, um, started a government relations company, and I departed the legislature at the end of 2016, went back to my other work on the outside, and the phone rang um, a little over a year ago from the incoming nominee to be the director of OPM, who was a former colleague of mine the first time that we worked there. And he said, I, I really need you to come to Washington and um, serve on this team once again, and would you be willing to serve as the chief of staff? And that's the number three ranking official in the agency after the director and the deputy director that are, are both Senate-confirmed positions. And it was just a, a tremendous opportunity that I could not say no to. So well, paused my the chief of the, once again. And-
1: the chief of staff uh, of the... Uh- OPM, is that similar to the White House Chief of Staff or Chief of Staff Anywhere, where you're basically the traffic manager and make sure everything is happening that needs to happen?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, Nick. And it's it's a sizable agency. The agency itself has oversight of the federal workforce, which is 2.1 million employees. So it's the largest organization in the world other than Walmart, which is about 2 million employees. And... So that's the the overall enterprise. The agency itself has about 6,300 employees. It's a $2 billion annual operating budget, including a sizable revolving fund that has what are known as no-year dollars. So it's dollars that can roll over from fiscal year to fiscal year that the agency manages um, really to provide HR services to other agencies of government. And then ultimately, almost a trillion dollars in trust fund assets that are Uh, the the pension and health care items for for former federal employees. So not a small enterprise at all.
1: Well, we're talking to Mike Davila, who is a former state representative here in Ohio and also served in Washington under two presidents. And we're going to come back after these words to talk to Mike about his experience as a presidential appointee Um, under uh, President Bush, uh, Bush 43, and also under President Trump and find out what that was all about and what it was like. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
2: Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips & Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips & Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800.
3: Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree. Insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our Approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at SelectINService.com. 440-237-8555, or SelectINService.com.
1: Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of the Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs.
4: You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle, You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com.
5: A five-star experience at a three-star price. at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care.
2: You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800.
1: And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And we're talking tonight to Mike Davila, uh, who's a, a longtime Clevelander here, who's had the unique experience of serving in Washington under two different presidents. Uh, Mike, again, thank you so much for joining us.
0: It's my pleasure. Thanks, Nick.
1: You know, when I mention a presidential appointment, that is a very rare thing. Most of us aren't employed by the president of the United States. What goes into being appointed uh, by the president and having it a, a presidential appointment as, say, opposed to a, a civil service job or, or some other type of employment in Washington?
0: Sure. So uh, as I mentioned, there's about 2.1 million federal employees total, and the vast majority of those are career civil servants. And, of course, that's part of a system that's been in place since the 1880s when the Pendleton Act was created to Uh, replace the old spoil system that we had in the U.S. prior to that. Um, Folks might recall from their their history that people would often line up in the White House back in the old days. They used to drive President Lincoln and and others around that time period crazy trying to um, figure out where to put all these job seekers who were coming through, many of whom were were not qualified for their positions, but were just looking for something in return for um, political support that they had offered in a campaign. we've had this wonderful system of um, a merit-based civil service in place since that time. There are, however, still a small number of people, several thousand, and again, out of 2.1 million, that's not a lot, that are appointees of a given administration. And that process is run through an office at the White House called the Office of Presidential Personnel. And that's the entity within the White House that does the vetting of everyone from cabinet secretaries to administrative assistants um, who, who might be rather junior in grade um, that serve in various uh, administrations that, of course, can change every four or eight years. And so that's the process that I've been through on a couple of occasions now. And um, it's not easy or straightforward, but it's it's a process that every administration has in place in order to make sure that the people who are there are going to advance the agenda of that administration and uh, try to get those policies across the finish line.
1: I assume there's a face-to-face meeting with somebody from the administration. And uh, where does that occur? Does it occur in the White House, the executive office building, or in some office building somewhere else in Washington, or by telephone?
0: So often by phone for, um, for positions at the level that we're talking about. Certainly for a Senate confirmed, um, there's a much higher bar on that. And, um, you know, that involves a lot of additional background checks and financial disclosures and all those sorts of things at the White House before a nominee would go before the Senate. And then the whole process begins anew up there. And of course, there are public hearings and the nomination has to be reported out and sent to the floor. And one of the things we're finding right now is that that, that process is not going very smoothly at all in this administration for a number of reasons. At, um, frankly, at both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, in, in some cases, The nominees aren't being put forward by this administration. And in other cases, they are, and they're being held up for political reasons in the Senate. And really, the American people are the folks who lose when that's the case. Um, And just as a a recent example that popped up last week, um, the FAA administrator, which is uh, obviously a pretty important safety position Mm -hmm. within the construct of the federal government, there has not even been a nominee who's been – put forward by this administration for that role. So, um, well,
1: what's, so the it's, reason, it's what's the reason, what's the reason for definitely. that? Who's, dro- who's dropping the um, ball?
0: Yeah, hard to say. They, this, this team is definitely operating with a smaller group throughout the administration and throughout the white house than anything I've seen over the years that I've been in and out of Washington and either as an observer or uh, a member of, of another administration. And, so It's not clear if there's an effort here to just have acting people in place for a while, which generally means that a, a senior career person in the agency will step up and fill that gap. Um, but it is taking some time. And even for my boss, Dr. Jeff Pond, who was the 11th OPM director, um, it took about nine months from the time that he was nominated to the time that he got confirmed. That was a holdup primarily, we think, on the Senate side of things. Um But in other cases, there are just not nominees that are being placed before the Senate for consideration at all. So that's a bit of a long way around the bar in answering your question. But so for those, there's a much more intricate process that takes place once it begins. For many other positions, though, um, you know, in my role as chief of staff, I was kind of the frontline vetting officer for people who I wanted to be working at our agency. And generally, if it was a person that we vetted and cleared, at our level, and it was a person who's going to be working for me or for the boss. Um, you know, short of something really going sideways with the White House, that person would get get the appointment. So it's not as high a bar at that point. The, the person who leads an agency generally gets to put his team
1: together or her team. So it's, uh, one of the big roadblocks would be a senatorial approval or uh, endorsement of that uh, representative or that candidate. Well, uh, when you got that phone call to uh, come to Washington here during the current administration, uh, these jobs are usually for three to four years in duration. Uh, this was cut short. What happened there?
0: Yeah, it, it was an interesting environment, certainly. And it's, I don't think I'm talking out of school at all to indicate that it's, um, it's certainly a, a different type of approach that this administration seems to have. And um, our team went in. Uh, the director and I, and the folks that we put together with uh, what we thought was an effort that was aligned with, A, what needed to be done at this point in uh, the history of the Republic, and B, something that we thought was in alignment with where um, the White House and the administration generally would be. It's been 40 years, 41 now, since the passage of the Civil Service Reform Act of 1978, and there are a lot of things that need to be done to bring the civil service into our modern time, basically for the 21st century. So we had a legislative effort um, put together to get that done as well as two other big areas, trying to digitize all of our federal employee data. OPM was um, the victim of a security breach back in 2015 under the Obama administration, whereby about 22 million current and former federal employees, myself included, had our, uh, data exposed to, um, well, just places that it shouldn't be, we'll say. And um, as a result of that, really putting the agency back on its heels, we went in with a real effort to try to get our arms wrapped around from cradle to grave from the time that a person is a, an, uh, a recruit or a candidate for a position, this is on the civil service side, mm-hmm. all the way until they're drawing a pension um, to make sure that their data is secure. And then lastly, just Celebrating the federal workforce, there's a role that OPM has as the central HR agency in government to um, celebrate and, um, I think, really recognize what our federal workforce does. So that was our effort. Um, and I guess in terms of the direction that the White House wanted to go, there, there was an effort last year really to attempt to dismantle OPM and send different pieces of it to other agencies of government. And the director and I had some serious concerns about the constitutionality of that. Um, It's an agency created by Congress, by statute. And much like the concerns that many of us conservatives expressed during the last administration about President Obama making end runs around Congress, doing everything by executive order and presidential memorandum, we started to see a lot of that behavior present itself in this administration as well. How so? well, by trying to dissolve a federal agency, without going to Congress to say we'd like to make these changes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, so
1: uh, that, I'm curious. That definitely
0: I'm, presented some challenges for
1: us. I would think, from your perspective as chief of staff, you, you're there, sort of like up on the bridge of a ship, watching everything uh, moving in the agency as a whole, with all 6,300 uh, employees uh, covering all of the federal employees. And when you're receiving word from the administration that they're, they're moving in a different direction, how does that information come down to you? Uh, I'm assuming the president doesn't come down. Do you get a White House counsel notifying you, or do you get a memo from the White House chief of staff, or how does that how does that information come down? So in this
0: case, there's, there's an interesting relationship that exists with the other two management agencies in the federal government, the Office of Management and Budget and the General Services Administration. And those are really the three that comprise um, central management. Here in Ohio, we would call it the Department of Administrative Services. We have it all under a single agency. Mm -hmm. And there's been talk over a number of years about consolidating those various functions into one agency at the federal level. And that was certainly something that the director and I um, were willing to entertain from the very beginning. But it was our thought that that had to be done through congressional action. Right. And in this case, that word is really coming down from OMB that they had a different approach that they wanted to take on it using the imprimatur for the White House supposedly to try to get that work done.
1: Well, that got you real close to the the, the ultimate power in the country and, and watching the politics move back and forth. Uh, and are you looking forward to ever going back to Washington again?
0: Well, we'll see. It's, uh, it's definitely a challenging time to be there right now. I'm just happy to be back home here in Cleveland, and it's, uh, it's where I belong, and I think where I can make the greatest contribution to people in this next phase of my career.
1: Well, it's good to have you, and it's good to have you in the meantime running your uh, Grindstone Institute and uh, being able to share some of these experiences and putting them to practical use at all levels of private business as well as uh, other government. Mike, thank you for joining us tonight.
0: Thanks, Nick. Always good to be with
1: you. Same here. Thank you very much. We're going to be back after these words with Judge Wanda Jones. Don't go away. Nick Phillips on The Advocate. We'll be right back.
3: Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing. But at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do it yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today 440 237 8555 or check us out at SELECT. INSService.com 440-237-8555 or Select INSService.com Hi,
1: this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs.
4: You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And, since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended, as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle, You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life
2: being careful protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800.
5: at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care.
1: Welcome back. Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, and in the next two segments, we're going to be talking about the Cuyahoga County Common Police Court and, and what it's like to become a judge on that court. If you've ever been in that court, you know that the judges have a lot of statutory power and uh, what it's like to become a judge is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're talking about Judge uh, Wanda Jones. Judge Jones, thank you for joining me.
6: You're quite welcome. Thank you for asking me to be here.
1: Well, my, my pleasure. And congratulations on being appointed to the court. Uh, how long have you been on the court now?
6: Uh, my first day was January 7th, so a few months now.
1: So a few months. And uh, prior to that, let's talk a little bit about your background. Because here in the state of Ohio, judges have to be elected, so it's always good for the people out there to know who their judges are. And you're Wanda C. Jones, and you've been a practicing attorney for how long?
6: Uh, I was a practicing attorney for about seven years. Mm -hmm. So I just made the cutoff. Uh, You have to be uh, an attorney for about seven years before you can uh, become a judge. So I just made the cutoff.
1: Now, you've been in private practice, Right.
6: For the entire seven years.
1: And that means you've been billing clients and collecting fees and dealing with people. And uh, did you uh, have to deal with the courts much?
6: I did. I um, I did not. My criminal law is not my background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I handled civil cases. I handled cases in probate court. I handled lots of juvenile, uh, juvenile cases. And I was a guardian ad litem, so I went into people's homes, um, and made recommendations to the court uh, about what should happen in terms of custody of children.
1: So you're dealing in the uh, interaction with the courts, making decisions and, and, and taking action. What uh, did you to decide to get involved in being a judge?
6: Actually... I decided that I wanted to be a judge my first day of law school
1: oh my <laughs> well that goes back
6: towards class uh-huh. um, after reading a, a decision and we discussed it and I uh, that there was a moment there where I decided that that was something I wanted to do mm-hmm. um, I did not expect it to happen as quickly as it did I thought that it was going to take um, you know, 10 or 15 years. Half a lifetime. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So um, the stars aligned, and here I am.
1: Well, now that um, you're a judge, and uh, here in Ohio, the Common Police Court is the basic court for resolving all criminal and civil matters. It's the trial court we have. And uh, with, with being there, first off, uh, emotionally, how do you feel about stepping from one side to to the other. I mean, you've assumed a lot of responsibility and a lot of authority.
6: That's right. Um, The Common Police Court in Cuyahoga County, we are responsible for about uh, 1.75 million citizens um, who could potentially come in front of the courts, and so it is a lot of responsibility. Um, In addition to the criminal and civil matters that people Tend to hear about. We also handle administrative matters uh, related to, um, you know, zoning. Uh, whenever there's a, an issue between, you know, a citizen, a resident, and the city over, you know, zoning issues. Um, those, when they are not able to be resolved at the administrative level, we handle those appeals as well. Um, so, emotionally, it has been. Uh, Exciting and scary, and uh, all kinds of conflicting feelings at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Much the way the decision-making process happens in the courts.
1: We're talking to Common Pleas Judge Wanda Jones uh, about being on the bench, and uh, as as you come onto the bench, stepping out of the civilian world, so to speak, into the judicial world. how How do you get trained to be a judge? Do they have special courses or something you, you're going to have to go to or you went to, or how do they
6: Well, what's hit interesting, the ground running I bet I did hit the ground running, but what's interesting about it is there are two ways that you can become a judge in Cuyahoga County, mm-hmm. either by election or by appointment um, from the governor. Uh, I was actually appointed, so um, my appointment came in December, well, January. Uh, 7th was my first day, as I said. So my appointment came after um, the general elections had already occurred. So the judges who were elected, they ended up having, there is a sort of judge college that occurs in Columbus. And so they had all, the newly elected judges had already completed the first part of the required judicial training um, that judges get because that class had already happened by the time I was appointed I was not able to uh participate in that uh I think it was about a week long training okay not, so not I had too to do long. some catch up uh mm-hmm. and then I because it is required um I will get that this year uh well during throughout the course of this year so there's a capital uh case training that'll be in May and then um the required new ju- new judges training occurs um, two times per year, so I will get both of those throughout this, this year.
1: Now, at the uh, training, do they tell you what you're going to be learning, or how do they go about this?
6: Well, I didn't get to participate, mm-hmm. so what I did get was the training materials. So when I went down Good and signed you. all my paperwork, mm-hmm. they sort of gave me these – manuals <laughs> of uh, <laughs> here's what you missed at judge school and so I read them and um, did a lot of research as I n- normally do um, and as I did when I practiced law and uh, I asked a lot of questions
1: now uh, when you stepped uh, into the uh, position Uh, How many cases were on the docket already? The docket doesn't stop because you're new. That's right. What happened? How many uh, cases did you have?
6: (laughs) What happened was my first day of work, I had uh, some cases that were set for trial, um, and I had a lot of cases that um, – because there was sort of a transition, um, a lot of attorneys may not be as aggressive in resolving those cases because they may, you know, a lot of them want to see what the new judge is going to be like mm-hmm. and how the new judge may rule. Or um, So there was a little bit of a backlog of uh, cases. Um, and so I'm getting those caught up now.
1: Did you always ask about uh, criminal cases and capital cases? Do you have any capital cases on your docket? I do not. Lucky, lucky. (laughs) Uh,
6: The capital capital case training does not occur until Until May, May. so I'm going to knock on wood and hope that I don't get any (laughs) between now and May.
1: Well, what I asked uh, some judges in the past would be, what is it like when you have your first death penalty case? And I'm sure it's something you'll remember. And uh, if if you can put it off for as long as possible, that'd be nice. But uh, crime being what it is, uh, there'll never be a shortage, I'm afraid.
6: That's true, sadly.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, with regard to some of these other dockets we've heard about, like drug court and so on, do you get involved in any of that?
6: I do. I actually um, refer certain cases. And uh, one of the cases, I mean, one of the dockets mm-hmm. is the Veterans Court. Uh, docket that was started by Judge Michael E. Jackson who actually uh, is g- uh, receiving or is receiving a proclamation from the c- uh, city of Cleveland and an award based on his work at the USO uh, big event. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That'll be on uh, I guess technically the, it was yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> last Saturday. Yeah. Right. Um, That's
1: not on the east side um I'm actually the m c for that event and will be ah. presenting that award
6: well i re- I, so. I received the proclamation from uh, the mm. mayor's office today, so I will be delivering those so.
1: well well outstanding the uh, the veterans court what is the veterans court and and how is that uh, is there a special treatment for veterans
6: well um, it's very interesting uh mm. court because almost everyone involved in that court is a veteran. Uh, and I do and veterans do have special needs. Um, mm-hmm. There is a lot of coordination uh, that occurs between uh, the veterans administration, even in terms of mental health treatment, um, and there's just a much more coordinated effort for veterans. Uh, and it, every time I get a, a veteran, I mean I always, you know I go through and I ask, Anyone um, who's before me, if they are a veteran, and if they are, we screen them for eligibility for the veterans court, and I get them moved to the veterans court right away because the probation officers, the prosecutors, the defense, uh, you know, the um, defense counsel, almost everyone who makes contact with that veteran um, has been is a veteran themselves and i think that's a, just a wonderful oh,
1: very good we're going to we're going to talk more a little bit about the veterans court we're talking to Cuyahoga county common Pleas judge wanda jones uh, about what's going on in the common Pleas court and what are her experiences so we're going to take a short break uh, we'll be back after these words you're listening to nick phillips here on whk the advocate don't go away
5: at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care.
3: Gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at SelectInsService.com. 440-237-8555, or SelectInsService.com.
1: Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select insurance for your insurance
5: needs. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women
1: live by Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. Wounded Warrior Project was created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war, whether those scars are physical or mental. Wounded Warrior Project, we never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Learn more about what we do at woundedwarriorproject.org.
4: You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle, You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price.
1: Welcome back to you. Nick Phillips with you for our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And with me tonight we have Judge Wanda Jones, a, a new judge on the Cuyahoga County Common Police Court bench. Judge Jones, thank you again for joining us. You are welcome. And thank you for sharing your impressions of the court. Uh, because uh, I was thinking judges who have been on the court, and I think we talked about this before the interview, is that judges who have been on the bench for 20, 30 years, well, I don't know if we have any 30-year judges Close, uh, if not... With a long time on the bench. They they may feel uh, like it's another day at the office, uh, but as you're there looking at it through your eyes, what are some of the most uh, interesting things you you found that that you want to tell us about that are remarkable?
6: Uh, Well, I would say... um, I don't know if I would use the term remarkable, but um, because I'm able to look at things from... A fresh perspective Mm -hmm. um, I'm able to see Things that maybe don't really make sense And so I can see room for improvement Or room to ask questions And make um, Ask why Something's being done a certain way And one of those um, One example which has really been bothering me And I've really been thinking a lot Mm -hmm. about How to improve Mm -hmm. um, Is um, restitution Um, What I'm finding is victims are when there is a restitution order for victims and maybe a defendant is put on probation Mm -hmm. uh for a period of time and And we're talking about criminal law here
1: criminal law Mm -hmm. yes
6: and they're ordered to pay restitution um if they don't pay that restitution you know the end of probation comes and maybe it hasn't been paid and then what happens that def- that uh, victim agreed to this defendant not having jail time or prison time because they were going to be made whole through restitution and so I've been thinking a lot about how to better ensure that victims of crimes get restitution um, for two reasons one because the defendant um, can't truly move on until they've made it right by you know, by living up to the commitment mm-hmm, that they've right. made. Um, because when they're standing there in front of you and they're saying, yes, I'm going to pay restitution, I'd like to believe that they mean it. And uh, I'd like to hold them to that, um, realizing that you can't – we're not a you know a debtor's prison country. <laughs> um, so there is a balance there. And mm-hmm. so I've been really thinking a lot about how to find that balance.
1: Well, what have you come up with? How how do you act as sort of like a collection agency for the victims? Well, is there resources in the court for that?
6: No, there aren't. Um, but you know, I do have a background in finance and banking, oh, and I very did convenient. for right. <laughs> so, of course, the dollars and cents make a you know it's a big deal, um, especially for victims of crime. Uh, and uh, so, the first thing I've done is I have gotten a list of all of the defendants on my docket who owe money uh, and owe restitution, and I'm able to look at that and determine based on their last payments if they're actually making a good faith effort to, to make those payments and to make that restitution. And then uh, I'm thinking about scheduling uh, a meeting with the probation officers to have a discussion about what's going on with those cases and just giving them a little bit more attention um, to, to make sure that the defendant knows that they are expected to live up to their commitments.
1: Well, that's part of the whole package, so that shouldn't be any surprise to the actual defendants that's uh, right. or in the system, and uh, that would be nice for the victims. We, we here at our office, uh, many times represent victims, and we see how the trauma of a crime is, is so uh, monumental in their lives. It's so life changing uh, to be able to get them back that restitution for what kind of monetary losses they may. That's suffered. right. But uh, have, have you been involved? Well, you've been in there a number of months now. So you've been sentencing people. I have. And uh, how, how is that stepping into the role now of having the power to sentence people? Are, are there any concerns you have when you look at people? or you, you have the probation reports and the recommendations and so on.
6: And the pre-sentence investigations, mm-hmm. uh, which are very helpful in helping paint a picture of Uh, this person who is standing in front of you and I always just keep the principles of sentencing in mind uh, as I'm walking through everything Um, so I may have a sort of a a ballpark idea of what I'd like to do Mm -hmm. but I keep an open mind and I don't commit to anything until I have heard everything from the state and the defendant and and then I make a decision and um, honestly I really i have not one time felt that was the wrong decision. I feel like um, when you have a respect for a person's choices, whether they're good choices or bad choices, then you don't there's no reason for me to feel bad about a consequence for a crime or for, you know, whatever that person has done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to respect their their choice uh, to do the crime and to accept the consequence. So I haven't felt any uh, negative feelings about it.
1: Have you ever seen a case uh, yet where you have a defense attorney and the defendant uh, standing before you for sentencing? And um, contrary to the lawyer's recommendations, the defendant just goes off the deep end and starts denying responsibility and blaming the victim and... I have had that actually. I (laughs) I have had that. Why in the world would someone do that? But in any event, how do you react to that?
6: Uh, Well, um, I have six children, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm used to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I treat it the same way that I, I, you know, I listen to people. I ask questions, and those, and and the questions I ask, depending on the excuse, really bring that defendant back to reality most of the time when i ask a question that contradicts what they're saying um for example yeah you know, there was a uh, once where a person said that uh the probation officer suggested that they use marijuana rather than pain medication prescribed by a doctor so i did what most people would do i gave them you know gave this person the mom look like mm-hmm. Are you really going to stick with that story? Are you really going to stick with that? And, um, you know, he started squirming. He looked down, and I asked some qu- some follow-up questions, and then he acknowledged that that really wasn't the case.
1: Uh, well, he finally came clean. Yes. Basically. Well, that good for that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking to Common Pleas Judge Wanda Jones uh, about being on the bench, and uh, we have about uh, a minute and a half here to go um lawyers uh, the judges have to handle lawyers uh, who come in and uh, many cases are resolved and settled um how are you finding that uh, that to be the case
6: uh well my uh i, I had a lot of experience with divorces mm-hmm. uh, i did do uh, practice domestic relations law so it's um I, I guess it's a skill that you develop to be able to get to the bottom of what the fight's really about. So sometimes I do find that it's the attorneys who have some personal issue with each other, and it has nothing to do with the underlying case that they're there for. And, um, of course, I would never, you know, point that out in front of, you know, clients. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So sometimes I will have the attorneys come back in chambers, and I will say, this appears to be about this, and correct me if I'm wrong. And then we can sort of get to what it's really about. And and then I send them back to see if they can work things out.
1: Well, I know as a practicing lawyer, it's always tough to make sure you remind yourself to be civil because civility is what people need the lawyers for. That's right. And even though the litigants might be going, you know, sort of tooth and nail and hating each other, the the lawyers have to tone it down when they get to the judge part. So you're, you're That's finding, right. finding that a, an interesting thing to do.
6: Well, I think I set the tone for that. And and my demeanor um, and the way that I talk to Mm -hmm. the defendant, the plaintiff, um, and the attorneys sets the tone for professionalism and civility.
1: Well, let's hope that uh, the younger, the middle-aged, and the older lawyers are all civil. That's what we need in the courts. Uh, We've been talking to uh, Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Judge Wanda Jones. Thank you for joining us tonight.
6: You're welcome. Thank you for the invite.
1: My my pleasure, and sharing with us your your impressions of getting onto the bench. We're going to have to have have you on next year to see what it's like a year after. I'd love that. And see how, see if you have any additional stories to tell us. But uh, but with that, I hope you enjoyed the. judicial work, and it's sort of totally different than being a practicing attorney out here like the rest of us lawyers are. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for tonight. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great uh, week. Good night.
2: And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning only my mind for company. The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420
0: The Answer or Salem Media Group.